This is History Man 1781, a project of ekbarns.com, where we walk in the footsteps of heroes and proclaim freedom reigns. Today's podcast is actually the second podcast with Zach Limhouse uh, from York County, South Carolina. He is the York County, South Carolina historian and director of the Southern Revolutionary War Institute for the Cultural and Heritage Museums of York County. Welcome, Zach. Hey, thanks for having me again. Thanks. Zach, in the last podcast, we were talking about it, kind of an overview of York County and sure. what, it, what it has to offer from a history standpoint, specifically the Revolutionary War history that we try to concentrate on this podcast. And, and what we found was that it is a, uh, a treasure trove of historical events, historical people, patriots uh, in their own right. Uh, we see the militia, citizen soldiers, forging out a, a new nation here in the back country of South Carolina. And it, I was on the edge of my seat listening to you, <laughs> and I'm sure the listeners will be as we, we delve into our, our next uh, episode, which is going to be the Battle of Williamson's Plantation, otherwise known as Huck's Defeat. So welcome. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Um, uh, Battle of Huck's Defeat is a very um, special place in, in my heart because, as we mentioned in, in the previous episode and, and as you mentioned in, in my introduction, uh, I am the historian for the Culture and Heritage Museums of York County. And those who are not familiar, well, we are a family of museums, um, four. Uh, one uh, in Rock Hill, we have the Main Street Children's Museum. In Rock Hill, we have the um, Natural History Museum. We have uh, the McKelvey Center campus, where we are recording right now, which houses the Southern Revolutionary War Institute. And But we also have Historic Brattonsville. And if you've never visited Historic Brattonsville, I will encourage your listeners to do so, because it is the site of the Battle of Williamson's plantation. We actually own that property, and there is a battlefield trail we have, we have found with archaeological research and uh, primary historic documents, a lot of which, like I said earlier, was compiled by my predecessor, Michael Scoggins. They were able to narrow down the, the actual site of this battle, um, and visitors to Brentonsville can go tour it. Um, so I would definitely encourage your listeners to come on and take a look. It is a fantastic site, and it's a site that has been uh, kind of brought up from, from ruins, out of, out of the uh, ashes of ruins, I'm excited to hear what uh, hear hear the history of Huck's defeat and what we found. Absolutely. So, for the listeners that don't know, um, the Battle of Huck's defeat occurred in the early morning hours of July 12, 1780, when a detachment of Patriot militia from General Thomas Sumter's brigade, under the command of Colonels William Bratton, Edward Lacey, Andrew Neal, and John McClure, engaged with a combined British force of Loyalist militia, New York Volunteers, and British Legion Green Dragoons under the command of Captain Christian Huck. Um, this is a turning point in the American Revolution in South Carolina's backcountry because it marks the first time in South Carolina's history when a group made up of exclusively patriot militia is able to overcome a force of predominantly British provincial soldiers. Um, this patriot victory at Huck's defeat also provides a morale boost for the backcountry patriots um, I'll give you an example. Uh, as a result, local partisan bands, the ranks started to swell. Um, prior to this engagement, Thomas Sumter had approximately 300 men, and after this engagement, he has approximately 600 men. So his size doubles as a result of this patriot morale boost that will occur after the patriot victory at the Battle of Williamson's Plantation. Well, so right prior to this battle, we had several things going on in South Carolina. Sure. Charleston fell. Sure, in uh, May 12, 1780. 
Uh, they chased Buford all the way up to uh, the Waxhaws. Yeah. They, they backtracked to Camden and, and started fortifying Camden. And when I say they, talking about the British. Sure. And then all the loyalists started coming and, and, and rallying together. Um, we had uh, Beckham's Fields um, where the loyalists uh, were coming together and having a big meeting. And then we had the Patriot Militia come and, and disperse them there. Mm-hmm. We had uh, the Loyalists coming together at uh, Mobley's Meeting, Mobley's House, meeting House in Fairfield County. Mm-hmm. And, and, and William Bratton was, was involved in that one. Um, I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole, but uh, but in Fairfield County, you had Richard Wynn, who is the namesake of Winsboro, of course. And um, Richard Wynn wanted to disperse the Loyalists that were gathered there, right? And, and as you mentioned, Alexander's Old Field, and, and Mobley's Meeting House, these loyalists were coming together because there had been a proclamation by Sir Henry Clinton, the um, commander-in-chief of all British forces in, in uh, the American colonies at the time, and he had promised in one of these proclamations um, protection for any loyalists that would that would come and sign and, and plead an oath, right? So we do see loyalists in the area coming out of the woodwork, so to speak, and uh, coming together to get this protection that's been promised. Um, and we see that at, at Alexander's Old Field, um, where, you're right, patriots under the command of John McClure um, attack this group and disperse them, right? Um, and I think that was June 6th, 1780. Um, and then on June 8th, 1780, uh, the same thing occurs in Fairfield, um, but uh, Richard Wynn is unable to recruit patriots in his area of Fairfield to disperse these loyalists, so he reaches out to York County. Uh, he reaches out to, to Colonel William Bratton and John McClure again, and um, they raise uh, a group of soldiers, and they go out and they, they do the same thing at Alexander's Old Field. So, I'm sorry, at Mobley's Meeting House. Um, and as a result of these, these two patriot victories, um, and we should note that Alexander's Old Field on June 6th is the very first Patriot victory after the fall of Charleston. There, there hadn't been a Patriot victory yet. And then Mobley's Meeting House, two days later, um, is another Patriot victory. And as a result, it really it enrages uh, the British in the area, especially the ones at Rocky Mount. Um, George Turnbull is the, the, British in, the British officer in charge at Rocky Mount, and he dispatches a group of um, British to burn down Hill's Ironworks, which are in York County as well. Now, was um, that Christian Huck that he sent? That was absolutely Christian Huck that he sent. What's the background on Christian Huck? Wasn't he called their swearing captain? Yeah, so Christian Huck is an interesting character. Christian Huck um, was born in Germany around 1748. Um, there's a record of a Christian Huck who arrives in Philadelphia in 1772, so we can assume that that is our Christian Huck, quote, our Christian Huck. Um, he was in Philadelphia. Uh, he worked as a lawyer, and he dabbled in real estate for a while. Um, and when the Revolutionary War erupted, Huck was a staunch loyalist, of course. He, he came down on the side of the loyalists. This was not an issue at first, but on May 13, 1778, Huck's name appeared in a local newspaper called the Pennsylvania Packet, and his name was on a list of uh, loyalists that were being accused of treason, right? Or, quote, that they had, quote, attained uh, of high treason. And Huck was branded as a traitor from that moment forward, um, and he was stripped of all his property. So it's not surprising that once this occurred that he's going to get out of town, so to speak. Um, So he flees Philadelphia. He joins the British Army, and on June 7, 1778, he receives a captain's commission in a company called Emmerich's Chaucer's. And... um, 
or chasseur, I guess is a more accurate pronunciation. A chasseur is a French word for hunter. And so a chasseur, when we're referring to military units, it's a designation given to units of light infantry or cavalry. And this particular unit of chasseurs was commanded by a guy named Andreas Emmerich, who was also German. So both Huck and Emmerich were German. I'm sure they bonded over um, over that shared uh, heritage, right? Um, and he was Huck was a member of Emmerich's chassers um, until it was disbanded by Sir Henry Clinton, who, like we mentioned earlier, was the commander-in-chief of all British forces uh, in North America at the time, and he disbanded the chassers in 1779. And Huck was reassigned to command a company of dragoons. And, of course, the dragoons were under the um, command of Bannister Tarleton. Um, so Huck was under the command of Bannister Tarleton, and uh, Huck was present at Buford's massacre that, that you alluded to earlier. So, so Huck was there for that engagement. He was sent then to attack Hill's Ironworks, which was the only ironworks south of Virginia at the time that was producing any kind of munitions for the Patriot cause. So you could imagine it made it a prime target for the British. Um, plus, uh, the act of burning the ironworks was in part retaliation as well for the Patriot victories that occurred at Alexander's Old Field and Mobley's Meeting House that we that we just discussed. From a backcountry standpoint, they didn't just produce munitions, though. Also, they they did they not produce plows and oh sure and, and, they and all the other tools, farm implements, tools, kitchen utensils. Absolutely. If it, if it weren't for the metal plows, they would have to use wooden plows. Correct. So absolutely. A, so so it, there was some domestic uses for what Hill was doing as well. Absolutely. So when it, it affected the farmers and, and the domestic life of those around here when they burned those those works. Absolutely. And we see the, the Battle of Williamson's Plantation. I mean, William Hill is, is present at the Battle of Williamson's Plantation. So you can imagine that to a certain degree, at least from Hill's standpoint, and I would imagine a number of the other patriots involved at the Battle of Huck's defeat, that this was in part a retaliation for the burning of Hill's ironworks, as well as other offenses. You mentioned that, that Huck was known as the swearing captain. He absolutely was. He, he tended to take the Lord's name in vain quite a bit, which, of course, you can imagine flew all over these backcountry staunch... Covenanters, Ab- Presbyterians. Absolutely. They, they didn't care too much for uh, his language when it came to... Um, taking the Lord's name in, in vain. And Huck engaged in tactics very similar to um, Tarleton or Ferguson, Ferguson. These tactics that were designed, at least as far as British military strategists thought, designed to beat and scare the patriots into submission and make them good little loyalists again, right? But in, in reality, this military strategy backfired, and instead of beating them into submission, it enraged them into action, right? So um, Huck, Huck had engaged in, in some of those brutal tactics as well, which, which we'll get into when we, when we start talking about the, the battle itself, or the days prior to the battle itself. So the days prior to the battle, we're talking about Hill's Ironworks being burnt down. Hill, Hill's Ironworks being bur- burnt down, but of, of course um, you have the day immediately prior to the battle. So like I mentioned earlier, George Turnbull, he's in command of Rocky Mount, which is a British fortification um, in the backcountry, and... After the fall of Charleston, the British, of course, established these outposts, these strongholds. You have Rocky Mount, you have Hanging Rock, you have Camden, of course. Um, You have one in 96, which flip-flopped back and forth. Uh, 96 had been contested since the very beginning 
of the American Revolution. So you have these these strongholds, and um, Huck had been stationed at Rocky Mount with George Turnbull. And it is from Rocky Mount where Turnbull dispatched Huck to burn down and destroy Hill's ironworks. And the day prior to the Battle of Huck's defeat, Huck had been sent out by Turnbull to round up Patriot militia leaders. Um, Turnbull had a good reason to believe that Patriot militia leaders would be at their homes. Thomas Sumter, uh, the commander of the Patriots at the Battle of Huck's defeat, um, he was camping at the time at the Old Nation Fort of the Catawba River. Where is that? Um, it's about mm, 20, 20 miles away, uh, away from here. Um, there's actually a marker. North, in, south, east, west. Yeah, so there is, it's in, um, it's in Rock Hill, actually. So there's a historic marker that has been put up there, if you're familiar with the um, Riverwalk area. So it's at Highway 21, where Catawba River runs under Highway 21. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's approximately the location, and that's where we have erected a um, historic marker that, okay. that commemorates the, the crossing. Um, and so Sumter was encamped in approximately that location, um, which is about 20 miles away from, from Brattonsville, right, from Williamson's plantation. And Sumter had sent a lot of his men back home because it was the time of the year to reap the wheat, to, to bring in the wheat. And he had sent his men home. It's important to keep in mind that uh, these partisan militias, it was completely voluntary. So if you wanted a horse to ride, you brought your horse from home. If you wanted a weapon to shoot, you brought your weapons from home. So the officers and soldiers would come and go, could come and go as they pleased for the most part. And Sumter had said, hey, you guys go, go home, help your families bring in the wheat, and then you can come back to camp once that's, once that's completed. And... Turnbull at Rocky Mount knew that Sumter had made this decree. It had, it had come to him that Sumter had issued this order to go home, and he figured this would be an excellent time to send Huck through the back country of South Carolina, rounding up as many of these patriot leaders as possible when they returned home to bring in the wheat harvest. Huh. So we see Huck and his men arrive at Bratton's home the day before the battle on July 11th, 17, okay. 1780. And a lot of what we know about Huck's arrival at Bratton's plantation comes from Bratton's eldest son, William Jr. Um, William Jr. was seven years old at the time. And, and William Jr. remembers these officers, these soldiers coming to his home. Um, initially, he remembers the New York Volunteers. So it's important to remember that Huck was in command of... Um, a combined British force. It wasn't just provincials. He had British Legion dragoons under his command, so sure. they were professional soldiers. They had the New York Volunteers. They were professional soldiers. But then he also had two different regiments of Loyalist militia with him as well. And William's eldest son, William Jr., remembers the New York Volunteers. Huck must have arrived later, but he remembers the, the red-coated New York Volunteers coming first, and Martha, Colonel Bratton's wife, and seven-year-old William Jr. step out on the porch to, to talk with the New York Volunteers. And one of the New York Volunteers steps up. We don't really know his name. He's a red-headed fellow named Henry. That's, that's all that um, William Jr. has to say about it, that it's a red-headed guy named Henry. He steps up, and he takes the reaping hook, um, one that 
presumably was used to bring the wheat harvest in that we spoke of earlier, and he holds it to Martha Bratton's throat. And so this is a handheld, absolutely handheld, handheld reaping you're, hook. You're grabbing a hold of the stalks by one, and then and you bring it across, bring to, it across. To, to cut the stalk. Right. And um, he held it up to her throat. This redheaded New York volunteer held it up to her throat and threatened to cut her head off if she didn't reveal the location of her husband, um, which you can imagine if you are a seven-year-old William Bratton Jr., this is a terrifying experience. Sure. Um, luckily, uh, for Martha especially, one of the militiamen steps steps forward. One of the loyalists? One of the loyalist militiamen, yeah. His name is John Adamson. Okay. Um, now, actually, is he from this area? So, yeah, so there are actually two Adamsons. There are actually two Adamsons present. There's a William Adamson, who is the commander of the New York Volunteers. Okay. We don't want to confuse John Adamson with William Adamson. Okay. Um, William Adamson... He is a um, member of the militia, and uh, he's, after this event, he's referred to as the Honorable Tory because he steps forward and he orders this New York volunteer um, to, to step down. And it's less of an order and more of a, a physical act. He uh, apparently draws his sword and beats the New York volunteer named Henry, who is threatening Martha, with the flat side of his saber and then kicks him down the steps of the front porch. So he physically saves... Martha Bratton's life. Well, that 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 is interesting. He, if he was a loyalist militia, he certainly doesn't have any command over over the uh, New York Volunteers who were who were dressed out as provincials. Correct. He absolutely. So he he took a, he took a risk. He took a risk sure. in in stepping forward um, to stand up to something that he saw as unjust. So he, so that's the day before the that's battle. That's the day before the battle. So so Martha's life is saved by this honorable Tory named named John Adamson. And Huck and his dragoons arrive later in the day, and, and Huck makes a, a second attempt to ascertain the whereabouts of Colonel Bratton. Huck orders Martha to make him dinner. And over dinner, um, Huck asks again, uh, where is your husband? And he offers him, uh, offers William Bratton a commission with the, mil- with the British Army. He offers him a commission. And again, Martha declines to, to tell him the whereabouts of her husband. And during this, this dinner, William Jr., the seven-year-old, right, where we get a lot of this account, was seated on Huck's knee. Um, Huck was bouncing him up and down, and, and William distinctly remembers like playing with the, the buttons on Huck's dragoon coat. And um, when Martha refuses to disclose the whereabouts of her husband, Huck gets enraged. And this is where the, swear, the swearing captain comes out, right? Huck abruptly stands up. He knocks the chair that he's seated in over and actually throws young William to the, to the floor. William, who had been sit- seated on Huck's lap, hits the hearth and breaks his nose. Um, and for the rest of his life, William Jr., when talking about the American Revolution and his experiences, he considers that injury his battle scar. Um, since, of course, he was too young to actually fight, sure. he, he, he will point to his nose when discussing uh, the Battle of Williamson's Plantation and, and say, this is, this is my battle scar. I, right. I was involved in the Revolutionary War just like, just like my father was. So Huck swears up and down, he, he throws a tantrum, and he locks Martha and their then five children upstairs in the garret um, above, above the house and makes some veiled threats, most likely that he will return and burn the house mm-hmm. down, po- possibly with them inside. Um, and then he proceeds on to um, the neighbors of the Brattons. That would be the Williamson's plantation. And Huck goes to the Williamson's plantation for, for a number of reasons. It's, it's a good place for Huck to 
batten down for the night. Williamson's, there are accounts that the Williamson's had oats at their plantation, so a good place to feed and water the horses. Um, so Huck is going to spend the night inside the Williamson's home. Uh, the provincial soldiers, like the other dragoons and the New York volunteers, they will be immediately outside of the Williamson's home. And then uh, you'll have the, the loyalist militia that will be encamped um, further on the Williamson's property. Sure. So, so are they building fires and that sort oh, of thing? Oh, absolutely. Using the fences uh, to, to build those fires? Absolutely. They're, they're, um, they're building their fires and they're, they're getting things ready, ready for, for the night. And, sure. and they, will, they will spend the night there at Williamson's plantation. That's, this is the night of July 11th. Now, William Bratton knew approximately where Huck was. News of Huck's location had been um, told to him. So there's a couple stories here. There is a uh, family story, which I quite like, um, though it can't be necessarily corroborated with primary source documentation. But the family legend, the lore that I like, is that he was informed by an African-American slave of the family whose name was Watt. Now, um, the legend goes that Watt was sent by Martha prior to the arrival of the British forces at her home, that she had been warned that the British were coming. Um, by other community members, and that she had dispatched the African-American slave, the Bratton slave named Watt, with a message to her husband, who, like we said earlier, was camping about 20 miles away at the uh, nation for the Catawba River. So um, that's one story. I tend to like that story. Like I said, there's really nothing to corroborate it. It is interesting to point out, though, that we have discovered a slave cemetery at Brattonsville, and there is a there was a tombstone there that was um, erected to Watt by the Bratton family. And you and I both know that it is exceedingly uncommon at the time to give an African-American slave a tombstone like that. Sure. Typically, if you're going to mark a slave grave, it would be marked with just field stones that you might have, have right. unearthed while plowing. You just put that field stone there. But this is a... It was a place uh, of honor. It was a place in, of in, honor. In many respects. This stone was was carved by a tombstone maker in Charleston. Like they mm-hmm. they they paid money, good money for for this tombstone for an African American slave. So we can imagine, we can conclude that Watt must have done something during his time in service uh, to the Brattons that would have warranted the admiration of the family. Sure. And I can think of nothing that would have warranted such admiration as delivering a warning to Colonel Bratton on the eve of the Battle of Williamson's Plantation. Now, of course, we can't corroborate this with any um, primary sources, but it is, a, it is an interesting story. Um, there's another story that Bratton was informed, that Sumter's camp was informed by a local family called the Bishops that would have been aware. So regardless, he was informed. Sumter's camp was informed probably the night of July 10th or the morning of July 11th. So there's a good chance that Branton himself knew, depending on when he got the message, knew of Huck's general whereabouts prior to his wife. Um, Because if you remember, the Reaping Hook incident occurred on July 11th um, around noon. So Branton very well may have known, Colonel Branton very well may have known prior to his wife the whereabouts of Huck. It wasn't like Huck was uh, riding around surreptitiously through the countryside trying not to be seen. And no, it, it was very everybody obvious. Everybody <laughs> knew that he was coming, right? So, a- absolutely. You know, word gets around, I'm sure. Yeah, it, it, is not, it is not a stretch to believe that William Bratton would have been informed by 
local members of the community who were well aware of what Huck was doing because he was he was not just looking for William Bratton. He was looking for other members of Thomas Sumter's brigade leaders that had been sent home. Right. So he, he was his presence was was well known. And uh, he was enforced, too. It wasn't it, he didn't just have a couple. Absolutely. Uh, he, he had he had. A bunch of guys. He, he did. It's but um, surprisingly enough, it's not as many as one might might think. He he did have soldiers with him, but we're talking approximately. Um, and I'm going to give you some general numbers. Approximately 30 dragoons um, were with him. But as far as the New York Volunteers, I've seen some numbers as low as 16 or 17 really? New York Volunteers. Okay. Um, right. We're talking probably a combined total of roughly 60 militia. So we're not talking hundreds of soldiers. We're talking a little less than 100 soldiers with him. So, yes, he, he had a, a force, um, a sizable force, when you're considering that he was out to arrest patriot leaders but when you think of what's going to occur on july 12th uh, his force was not prepared to handle what was coming if that makes sense sure um so bratton and his men are made aware at sumter's camp on the catawba river of um the general location of christian huck and his men so they they set out like i said it's bratton mcclure lacy and neil and they they set out and was they, Richard Wynn with him? Richard Wynn was also with him, okay. yes. Right. Um, Richard Wynn was present. Like we said, um, William Hill was also present, the gentleman who owned the ironworks that had, that had been burned by Huck. So they head uh, towards Branton's plantation. They ride through the day and, and into the night. And William Jr., um, in his account, remember William Jr. seven at the time, he recalls there being an aurora borealis in the sky which um, is exceedingly uncommon. Um, and again, we can't corroborate this. This is just his reminiscences. But you can imagine that if indeed this happened, um, one, it would light the way for these soldiers. But two, they most likely took this as a sign that their, their mission was somehow blessed, right, by a higher power to see something so uncommon for this area illuminate the sky the day before this major battle, right? So um, at this point, they they split it's up. It's romantic, even if it's not true. It's so. <laughs> very romantic. Like I said, we can't corroborate the Aurora Borealis, but um, so much of this story um, ha- has been told and retold. It's hard to sometimes um, separate fact from fiction, but... The story gets larger in the telling. The, it, it sure does. Um, but so apparently there was an aurora borealis. Again, we cannot corroborate that, sure. but that's a fun story. Um, and at this point, they decide to split their forces in two um, between Bratton and Lacey. So they pretty much evenly divide their forces. Um, Bratton is going to attack from the west, and Lacey is going to attack from the east. Uh, and that um, is not a, a, a huge issue for Bratton because he's pretty much going straight down the lane that connects his home and Williamson's home. That's referred to as Williamson's Lane. Um, Lacey, on the other hand, in order to try to get a jump on Huck, he's going to go around through some brush, underbrush, um, trees, some uneven, rocky terrain, and he's going to arrive to the battle late. Lacey and his men will arrive to the battle much later than, than Bratton and his men will. So at about 4.53 a.m., William Bratton and his men open fire on 
That's an unusual time. That's a weird up. time. That's so a, a, why, why four fifty three. Who had the that, exact watch? that? That is a weird. That is a that is a weird time. Like I said, if I would suggest you all read Michael Scoggins' book on on this sure. on this particular on this particular event, the day it rained rain militia. It is available um, through the Culture and Heritage Museums. You can you can pick up a copy here or the gift shop at. At Brantonsville, Mike has done some wonderful research research on this battle. So he has he has determined through his research that it was approximately 4:53. You're right; that's a very odd number. Um, at 4:53 a.m., the the first shots are fired when Bratton's men encounter the the loyalist militia that is in, encamped there at Williamson's plantation. And it's important to note that they weren't prepared for this engagement at all. It's early in the morning, as we've just established, and they're watering their horses. They're preparing for the day's ride. Some of them are cooking breakfast. So um, the loyalists aren't prepared. The loyalists prepared. are, yes, I'm, I'm sorry. We do need to make that clear. The loyalists are not prepared. The patriots are very prepared. Um, the loyalists most likely would not have slept with their guns loaded. I mean, that's just not something you did back then. Um, you have to keep in mind, gunpowder has to be extremely dry to ignite. <laughs> and typically you would not have kept your, your guns loaded because of the condensation that would have formed on, on the barrel and in the, um, in, the, in the pan and around the touch hole uh, of these weapons. Um, the condensation is going to form and render your gunpowder useless. So most likely they weren't ready to fire, return fire when the Patriots opened up on them. Um, so it was, um, it was not a long engagement with the loyalist militia. They, they, quickly, they quickly turn tail and run. It's important to note that John Adamson, the honorable Tory that had saved Martha uh, the previous day, he is a member of this loyalist militia, and during the battle he actually falls from his horse and he impales himself on a pine stob. Um, that is coming up out of the ground, and he is ultimately going to succumb to his wounds, but we'll, we'll talk more about, about John Adamson later on. Once the first shots are fired, of course, it alerts Huck, and it alerts a man that William Bratton had left to stand guard over a sentinel that had been stationed there to make sure that there was no trouble. He, he stood guard over a sentinel. So, yeah, so let me explain. As Bratton's men were arriving at Williamson's plantation— they approach a sleeping sentinel who had been stationed there by Huck to alert if there was any trouble. And, of course, he was not doing his job very well. He was fast asleep. So Bratton ordered one of his men to stay behind, and he said, if he stirs, shoot him. Okay. So, of course, the gunshots ring out, and it alerts the sure. sleeping sentinel. He wakes up, and he's, he's killed because he, 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 he woke up. He woke up. <laughs> Huck, of course, is inside uh, the Williamson's home. As we mentioned earlier, he had, um, just like he did pre- the previous day where he had ordered Martha to make him dinner, he has ordered the Williamson's to make him breakfast. So he is in the Williamson's home. He's eating his breakfast. Again, he's making not-so-veiled threats to, to the family, taking the Lord's name in vain, and um, the shots ring out. And he grabs his saber and his dragoon helmet, and he steps out on to the porch to see what is going on. Thinking quickly, the Williamsons will close the front door behind him and bar it from the inside. So, so Huck is going to be unable to return inside the house, which he initially wanted to do because he had left his green coat inside the house. And much like the Battle of King's Mountain, where um, Ferguson's attire, what he's wearing, Ferguson's checkered hunting shirt, is going to make Ferguson a prime target at the Battle of Kings Mountain. 
being without a green coat when the rest of your men are clad in green coats is going to make you stand out quite a bit. So it was not hard for Patriot marksmen to determine which one was Christian Huck, if, if that makes sense. It looks like this might turn into a two-episode podcast, so uh, <laughs> I'm not sure how this is going to work out, but let's continue. That's fine. There's a lot to tell. Let's, let's continue with the second half of this 